students, staff, alumni, neighbors, friends. Welcome to the Because We're Lutheran podcast from Pacific Lutheran University. You don't have to be a Lutheran to listen, but we do hope by the end of these conversations, you'll think there's something pretty interesting, maybe even compelling about Lutheran higher education. I'm University Pastor Jen Rood, and I'll be your host. So we're back, continuing our um, podcasts around the themes of interfaith work at Pacific Lutheran University. And today we have two fantastic faculty with us. Um, Eric Hammerstrom is faculty in the religion department, primarily teaching in the areas of East Asian and comparative religions. When he's not doing his scholarly thing, Eric is fill in the blank. Um, I am uh, playing the ukulele uh, or watching soccer or playing Dungeons and Dragons. Love it. All right. And we have Christina Naj with us from uh, the economics department faculty at PLU. Not only is she actively involved in interfaith work at PLU, but Christina, you're always exploring opportunities for interfaith um, learning and relationships kind of in the broader Tacoma Seattle community. And you were part of the team that helped launch our multi-faith meditation and prayer space um, a couple years ago. And when you're not doing scholarly things and teaching or podcasting, what do you like to do for fun? I dance ballroom and ski and bike, depending on the weather. Mm -hmm. Nice. All right. Well, maybe we'll explore those other hobbies in another podcast. But for (laughs) today, um, just as kind of a starter question, can you talk a little bit about your religious or spiritual background and kind of how you currently identify? So I was raised, uh, one of my parents um, was Catholic, the other was Episcopalian, so I was raised kind of bouncing back and forth between Catholic and Episcopalian churches, which are very similar. Mm-hmm. So uh, there wasn't a, I, I didn't even really realize till I was probably 12 that we were actually going to two very, <laughs> two, you know, different uh, different sects of churches. Um, mm-hmm. So I was raised that way. My parents both got very interested in Zen Buddhism when I was pretty young. Uh, there was a kind of movement, a minority movement of Catholics who do Zen meditation. Um, huh. So it, the Jesuits are partly yeah. responsible for that, uh-huh. uh, as as probably not surprising. Um, so, uh, so there was always kind of Buddhism around the house. Um, as I got older, that attracted me more, and so I eventually uh, started practicing uh, Zen Buddhism first when I was uh, in college, um, and I've been involved with Buddhism since then. Yeah, yeah, great. Thank you. How about you, Christina? Yeah, I was baptized in the Hungarian Reformed Church in Transylvania, uh, region of Romania. I grew up under communism, a system that discouraged all religious activities and Mm. priests were persecuted. So I didn't go to church during my childhood. I didn't learn about the Bible. And I was 14 years old when communism collapsed. Mm. And that's the age, age 14 is when members of the Hungarian Reformed Church go through the confirmation process. Mm So my first encounter with religion was really all about learning, learning the tenets, the learning about the Bible, and preparing for the test at the end of the year oh. to be confirmed in front of the whole congregation. Yeah. So the Hungarian church theologically is Calvinist. Mm-hmm. And I remember at that time there was a lot of emphasis on predestination, the belief that people have no control over events because things are controlled by God or fate. And as a teenager, I didn't find that very empowering, but I continued <laughs> Not surprising. to teenager, yeah. <laughs> attend the Sunday services and serve my community during my high school years. 
However, once I left for college and emigrated to the United States right away, um, I lost connection with my religion. And it's interesting how Eric mentioned the Jesuits earlier, because um, when I got a job at Seattle University, a Jesuit private school, um, I got invited to a three-day silent retreat that they organized for their faculty and staff. Wow. And that's that was the opportunity that really brought me back to religion in general. Uh, it, the timing of the retreat also coincided with the passing of my father. So I was really uh, looking for uh, reflection. And mm -hmm. it was that Jesuit tradition. Uh, so I was introduced to the daily examine, which is a personal practice to reflect and meditate and to recognize the presence of God or higher power, power in life. Mm -hmm. So that was the meditation is actually what touched me and brought me back. Yeah. Um, and I'm now I got involved with the Hungarian Reformed Church here in Seattle, and I've been uh, president's council president since 2013. Mm -hmm. And I'm really exploring various ways of meditation. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, why I was very interested in the setup of the meditation and prayer space on mm -hmm. campus. I think that's very important. It seems like you both have really had evolving spiritualities and faiths, not not static, that you've continued to explore and and sort of see what works for you. And yeah. So neither of you are Lutheran, and yet here you are at a university, Pacific Lutheran University, um, and you must have found some sort of vocational resonance um, with the values of a Lutheran university. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe about how your faith commitments, how they intersect with the values of a Lutheran university? My faith tradition uh, highlights the importance of education, community, and service, mm -hmm. and that's what I did yeah. growing up. And um, these fit very well with the main values of PLU. So, mm -hmm. so, so the natural fit. It yeah. it was exactly mm -hmm. a natural fit. I didn't actually have um, any experience with Lutheranism before applying for a job here. Mm -hmm. um, I was aware of PLU. I grew up uh, in the suburbs outside of Portland, Oregon. So I was aware of PLU, and it was on my short list of places to apply to. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't know much about the L at that mm -hmm. time, right? Yeah. Despite the very Scandinavian name I have, um, <laughs> no one's been Lutheran in our family for a couple generations. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I really I started to learn about Lutheranism when I was applying for the job here and preparing for my job interview. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew they were going to ask me about it. And I, what I found was really heartening to see. Um, I had by that point in my graduate career, I knew that I wanted to be involved with liberal arts education um, at a smaller school, mm -hmm. uh, or you know, small to medium-sized school, and PLU fit that bill. And as I learned more about what Lutheran higher education means, how the Lutheran tradition supports, in particular, freedom of conscience and community, learning in community, learning for community, mm -hmm. those are both things that really um, that have continued to resonate with me, and they're reasons why I stay mm -hmm. right, at this school. So PLU was your first Lutheran experience, um, first encounter with Lutherans. It, it was. It seems like it was positive. It was. You know, I, t I tell people my first uh, Lutheran service was a memorial service uh, for a um, professor in the religion department who had passed away. Mm. Um, and this was a year and a half after I'd started working here. Mm -hmm. um, I now regularly attend uh, chapel. Yes, uh, you do. You're, which is, yes. yeah. And are speaking this semester. I am speaking yes. this semester, <laughs> yeah. I've got I've to prepare for that. But I, um, I really enjoy, you know, having grown up in a pretty ritual 
heavy tradition. Mm -hmm. um, and the Buddhist tradition to which I belong now is also um, ritual and Sunday service is a big part of the, the yeah. tradition. I really enjoy that part of things. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll make a plug that our um, chapel talks are now available on our website so people can hear oh, those even oh, if they okay. can't attend chapel. So that's new. Um, Christina, how about you? What was your um, first encounter with Lutherans and what were your first impressions? PLU was also my first uh, exposure to Lutheranism. Okay. And I actually joined PLU because for like 13 years prior to coming to PLU, I was a KPLU fan. Oh. And I know I was listening <laughs> to the radio and I knew that the people on air, some of them were PLU graduates. Okay. And but I didn't know too much about the Lutheran part. I just knew that the strong uh, liberal arts background, and this was definitely something I wanted to do. And then it was a new faculty orientation when uh, Samuel Torben had uh, two workshops actually, mm -hmm. um, telling us about the <coughs> missions of Lutheran education. And um, we had opportunity to reflect, question, fill out questions to reflect on what we think uh, when we hear Lutheran. And I actually found my notes from 2013. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. Yes. And uh, the, the word that I, I just wrote down, one word uh, that comes to mind when I hear uh, the word Lutheran is community. Mm -hmm. And so seven years later, uh, I think that PLU is characterized by a strong community mm -hmm. and openness. And uh, another thing, something else that I resonated with uh, that's part of the mission and I wrote down on again fall of 2013 was this idea of thoughtful inquiry mm -hmm. and and reflection and the care so and I've been working since so over the past six years of really bringing in this idea into my class economics and statistics to look at my students as a whole mm -hmm. and during the icebreakers at the beginning of the term, I asked them to share what, what they value most, what are the most cherished values. Mm -hmm. Family and friends are the ones that come up most yeah. often. And then I asked them what they're proud of and what supports they get, they what supports they've been getting to get as far as they have. And again, family and friends mm -hmm. come up. So Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up this idea of, um, well, getting to know students as whole people. The students that we just did a podcast with around the same talk of, topic of interfaith, that's one of the things they most value about their education. And that's steeped in kind of this Lutheran tradition of community that your whole person is not only um, welcomed, but is expected and desired. Um, so it sounds like you really form your class around that, that value kind of from the first day. So while to some people it sounds contradictory that we're a Lutheran university and yet here we are talking with non-Lutherans, talking about interfaith work, we really see it as essential to our work that because we're Lutheran, we're involved in interfaith work. So in your understanding, why is it essential to the mission of a Lutheran university that we're involved with interfaith work? And this relates actually to some of the things you've been sharing with us during chapel or uh, convocation that it's really essential that we see each other as valuable and multi-dimensional human beings. Mm -hmm. So again, that whole person comes back and really focusing on transcending the differences mm -hmm. and really sharing the commonalities and the common values that we have, mm -hmm. which is why I ask my students, you know, what, what are your most cherished yeah. values? And really, it's, it's, I think it's all about human connection. 
So connecting with humans of other faith, religion, or non-faith, mm-hmm. uh, for that matter. Because regardless what faith tradition or whether you have you associate with a faith tradition or not, you do. We all have cherished values. Mm-hmm. So that's really, I think, connecting along those uh, is very important. Yeah. Whether you are a Lutheran school or or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything to add, Eric? Yeah, I would say I think um, it comes back to what you were saying, Christine, about the community being a, a big value. The Lutheran tradition was based in kind of bringing authority back to local communities, individuals in community with one another. The educational component was very much um, comes out of a tradition and continued a tradition of people who have differences, different academic specialties, different uh, different ways of being in the world, but can coexist in a community and form a strong community around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, having, after arriving here, right, I'm kind of reading Luther's writings on the importance of caring for all people in the community, right? Mm-hmm. So so the, the locus of uh, meaning and importance is the community. It's not just the individual. And if we think about the United States, right, we exist in an, a multicultural, multi-religious community. Mm-hmm. Um, we are that community. So I think that, that it's a natural fit with the Lutheran tradition to say we need to value the people who are here. We also, because we respect freedom of conscience, we don't require everyone to hold to the same mm-hmm. right, the same idea. So even though we live in a country that's primarily dominated by Protestant theology, Protestant values, right, there are many people who don't fit within that. Mm-hmm. Um, people who have their own religious traditions, um, not just Catholics, but Buddhists like myself, and all different uh, different people. So I think it's a, it's a natural thing for Lutheranism to say, hey, let's get along, like yeah. let's and let's try to understand where we're all coming from about yeah. this. Um, so I think it fits naturally that um, as a school, we don't require our faculty to sign a faith statement. We're not a confessional. Um, the religion department is not a confessional department. So mm-hmm. we don't teach Lutheranism as Lutherans to Lutherans or to people to make them Lutherans, right? right. We teach about religion in the broadest sense. Mm-hmm. So I think even the religion department reflects that larger mm-hmm. attitude of the university. Yeah, and you mentioned kind of the liberal arts piece of this, which I think that Martin Luther was also about this idea that no one discipline um, could hold all the truth and the same way no one individual can. And so in order for us to sort of seek truth together, uh, we need each other, which I think is kind of exactly uh, what you were talking about. I just want to add something to that that I think it's also essential to in, be involved in interfaith work because it provides an opportunity for people to be free to talk about mm. their religious background yeah. and to share experiences. And this is something that I have not experienced in other places. And more so now that I'm involved with interfaith work and I look back, let's say during my graduate years, and I just realized that a lot of my colleagues, my graduate colleagues, belong to different faith tradition, and it was a taboo. Mm. I, my office mate was a Muslim, and I never really realized that till now mm-hmm. because it was a taboo. He would never talk about anything. I had a friend who was, uh, several friends who were Buddhists, and they never talked about anything. And, I couldn't learn from them or mm. share, and only now one of them passed away. Only now I'm interested in learning more, and I wish I had a conversation mm-hmm. with her about her experience and and just be open to talk about faith. 
Yeah, as that feels like a growing area for us on campus, because I think in some ways we're much more comfortable talking about race or gender identity or sexual orientation Absolutely. than we are talking yeah. about religious identity. And maybe part of that is that here in the Pacific Northwest, sometimes we're called the nun zone, this idea that nobody practices a faith or spiritual tradition or it's sort of that's old school or that's Midwest or whatever. So even though we kind of live in this area, it seems as if interfaith work is really catching fire and there's a lot of energy behind it. What what do you think about that? Why is that happening now in this place? The, well, I I hope it's happening a lot. I mean, I certainly see it because I'm involved with both of you and interfaith stuff and, you know, all the good work that's coming out of your office, Jen. But I, I think, I mean, I think it's absolutely essential, um, especially for this region, for younger people. Um, mm -hmm. We live in the non-zone, but we're very rare in the world, right? The world is becoming right. more religious right. uh, as as populations in kind of places where there isn't as much religiosity, like Europe, kind of decline and other parts of the world increase. Like the world is becoming, there are more people who are affiliated with religion, mm -hmm. right? Certainly Buddhism um, is not is not growing rapidly, but Hinduism is, Islam is, Christianity is growing mm -hmm. um, in terms of world population. So students who, pe people who grew up in this area don't have a natural exposure as much, right? So I tell my students, you know, statistically, on the first day of class, statistically, most of you have never, more of you have never been to a church service than have been, mm, right? Okay. Even at a school like PLU. Right. And it's even more so when you go to big state schools. Mm -hmm. right? um, so you have no natural awareness of what religion is like. So you probably have a lot of stereotypes right, yes. about religion and religious people. And some students recognize that about their experience. And I think they're the ones who are reaching out, right? Mm -hmm. Who are reaching out to understand more about how do I think not only about the form of Protestant Christianity that gets the most airtime in the media, but also about all the other traditions. How do I think about this, this plurality of traditions? Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's if we're educating students who are at some point going to leave the Pacific Northwest, they have to be, they have to understand, I may not know the contents of this religious tradition, but I have to be aware of how to act, how to talk. I, I shouldn't shut down and be afraid if people start talking about their religion. Mm -hmm. I would also note that as you bring up diversity, I think religious diversity isn't as isn't as it's usually not included in the list, right? right. We have we have uh, sexual diversity, gender, race, ethnicity, um, various kinds of diversity, but religion often, as you point out, isn't included on the list. Mm -hmm. And when that combines with the fact that for students of color, they're far more likely to be religious, um, right. being irreligious is connected to a variety of things, including education, income, and ethnicity white students are less likely to be religious. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's almost a position of privilege to say, I don't need to worry about religion. Right? It's dying out. Right. Because you because your cultural experience is such that in the world you grew up in, the world you're raised in, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. um, or it doesn't exist. Whereas for our Vietnamese American students, African American students, Right. Those are communities where religion continues to play a very big role in social cohesion, in support, in dealing with um, times of happiness, times of sadness. Right. Mm -hmm. These things are really connected to religion. And so yeah. I think the, I think maybe the impulse is that students are realizing that this is also a valuable part of the diversity of our community. And maybe, oh, maybe I don't know enough about it. Maybe I need mm -hmm. to look into it. Right. Interfaith yeah. work doesn't mean that you yourself 
have to become religious. Right, right. Uh, we have very active members who are atheists. Absolutely. But they see yeah. it as a value that they should learn how learn from other people and learn in, in diverse contexts and, and know a little something so they um, can interact with people in the world in a, in a competent and compassionate way. Yeah, and I, I just want to add to that. You asked about, you know, why at, in Pacific Northwest. And so we live in a world where the, there is a current trend of dehumanizing mm-hmm. religious groups. Mm, right. Yeah. And because we don't talk about religion, we don't have opportunity to learn about other religions. So the only source of information would be, let's say you learn about Islam from uh, non-Islam people and you get a biased, right. uh, a misrepresented view of what that religion is. And it, this is true for all other religions. So I think that uh, the interfaith work allows us to talk to people of different religious background and learn from them mm-hmm. of, okay, so what is Islam really about from mm-hmm. your perspective? I think or, that's key. And also talking with actual individuals, like if we just want to learn about, you know, Islam 101 or Buddhism 101, we can read a book. Correct. But if we actually want to get to know how people practice and live that out, we have to talk with other people. So that feels like part of the value of what we're trying to do. Yeah, and and that's how by interacting, by connecting with people, how we are able to de I mean, we are able to humanize mm-hmm. to see members of other religious groups as human being and it's I think it's also a responsibility to help students here at PLU to recognize that diversity and to be able to connect with human beings, you know, to be respectful, mm-hmm. pas- compassionate, whether they are religious or not. So it really doesn't matter whether mm-hmm. you are religious or not. It matters of how you treat individuals of other faith traditions. Yeah. yeah. How do you, each of you, sort of see faith play out in the classroom setting? It's probably different in the religion department than the economics <laughs> department, but I just wonder, like, mm-hmm. how does this come up? Um, Christine, you talked about you start with this values piece. Um, but does it come up in other ways with students? Uh, in my classes, uh, discussion about faith and religion doesn't come up. Doesn't come up. I have not been able to find a way to bring it into my statistics mm-hmm. class or economic, even economics class. I don't teach economics of development where I might be able to go mm-hmm. uh, talk about the role of religion and economics. I have not been able to bring mm-hmm. it. Other than we talk about values, and that's how, only how far I got. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's part of a larger trend, right? I mean, you know, I think you're, Christina, you're, you have a lot of experience in this area, um, and you can facilitate these conversations. But I think there are a lot of our colleagues, faculty colleagues, who, right? Religion is—it's one of the three things you're not supposed to talk about right. at a polite dinner, right? right. Uh, don't talk about religion. Don't talk about sex. Don't talk about politics. Yeah, um, boring and, dinner. Yes. Yeah, or <laughs> yeah, don't ruin dinner. It's yeah. uh, and so I think that. You know, as the the faculty body at PLU has become less religious over time, um, I think fewer faculty feel comfortable bringing those things up, or I think they rightly judge that it's not appropriate mm-hmm. um, to talk about certain certain topics in certain classrooms, right? Mm-hmm. You shouldn't always talk about politics in every classroom, right? And you shouldn't talk about religion in every classroom. Right. That said, you know, in the religion department, that's certainly something we do talk about. Um, I would say, because I teach East Asian religious traditions, I assume most of my students don't have that background, but I also know that some will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm constantly kind of marking that in class, right? I'm saying, okay, some of you are this, from this. some of you who grew up Protestant, some, um, some of you who are Catholic. And I, in all my classes, I have a day where we talk about 
Protestants and Catholics, and I think maybe a third of my students are usually surprised to learn that they're not just Christian, they're Protestant. Oh. Right? And once they start learning more about their own positionality, that makes them more comfortable to talk with others because they, they're able to say, okay, uh, well, I was raised Protestant, and so this is where I'm coming from, right? So these conversations okay. become more possible the more we have self-knowledge. Um, and so it, it does show up in some classrooms. Mm -hmm. Certainly when we're talking about Buddhist doctrine, it's not a, a place where I need to hear all the Protestants talk about their love of Jesus, right? right. That's an important part of their tradition. Mm -hmm. I respect that. But that's not the only way to engage with religious differences mm -hmm. by constantly marking, well, this isn't what I do, this isn't what I do. Mm -hmm. Rather, we try to come at it from a different, from a different perspective. So um, giving students self-knowledge, creating the space, uh, being really explicit about marking, okay, this is what we're talking about. Okay, some of you are coming from here. I think those are ways to help make those conversations happen when appropriate in religion classrooms or in other classrooms. I think what you said is really key about people getting to know their own identities. So for people of minoritized religious communities on campus, they have a lot of practice in that. So Absolutely. they are yeah. very able yeah. to articulate um, their perspective and, and their um their identity around that. And it's a lot of, I would say, more Christian or or non-religious that, that really haven't thought about it. And so I think that piece, though, if you're going to um, interact with others, you have to kind of know where you're coming from. Um, so I think that that piece is really valuable. And I hope that we continue to grow that in our interfaith work as yeah. well. Um, that's not just about learning about others, but it is about learning about ourselves, too. Um, well, I, and I think it's really important because it's empowering to students. Right? Yeah. I think, especially, again, in the Pacific Northwest, I think it's, it's paradoxical, but Protestant students can often feel like they're a minority religion right. because they kind of are. Mm -hmm. right? um, and so le giving them the tools to think about their identity, not as I'm normal, um, right? Yeah. So it's the same with kind of thinking about being white, right? right? You're, you're not the norm. You're th you have an identity. Mm -hmm. It's a thing. You can talk about it. Mm -hmm. There are differences. I've got Scandinavian heritage. That's important to me. Mm -hmm. That's not the same as kind of being this generic default category. I think giving Protestants students, Catholic students, um, Eastern Orthodox students, the tools to say, to understand this is who I am, this is where I'm coming from, mm -hmm. um, that can empower them as they go forward. That gives them the tools to talk with their colleagues wherever they end up working also. And so right. even, so it's, for Protestants, it's, it's unusual. They're, they're a minoritized religion, but they're not because mm -hmm. it's still the dominant kind of cultural expression in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you, yeah. Well, we hope PLU students don't have the experience that Christina had where you work in an office with someone and never actually get to know some some deep parts of them but there are people who can talk about that and can share that with others so one more question you both have been involved in interfaith work here at PLU can you talk about a piece of that that's been meaningful or interesting or fun maybe what's kept you doing this work so I'm relatively new uh, to the work with you um, and work through the interfaith working group and those kinds of things. Um, most of the work that I've done around interfaith, I guess, has just been kind of disorganized stuff that I've done while I'm here. Um, as a member of the religion department, I often get asked to speak at local Lutheran churches. Mm -hmm. So I'll talk about other religious traditions. Um, here on campus, I've been involved in kind of random things, uh, a panel here, a panel there, those kinds of things. Um, what I've enjoyed about it is meeting the students, mm. right? The students who are excited, um, often campus ministry stewards. Those are some like really keen students. Mm -hmm. Getting to 
be around students who are bringing energy and commitment to organizing and making things happen. That's been the most enjoyable part because yeah. they bring they also bring energy, right? Yeah, <laughs> At absolutely. At the end of the day, yeah. And you're working on a new class for the fall. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, it's for the spring, actually. Oh, for the spring. Yeah, it's it's starting in uh, soon. Um, I don't know when this will air, of course. Uh, but uh, so it's the spring of 2019 as when this will be happening. Um, I've taught a class on Buddhism in Tacoma twice before. So in that class, we meet on campus, but we have uh, sustained um, kind of off-campus site visits where we make several site visits to the Tacoma Buddhist Temple, um, which was which is a hundred-year-old Buddhist community here. Uh, in Tacoma. Um, that's a temple that I'm a member of. Uh, so it's very easy for mm -hmm. me to kind of work out the logistics. Um, we also go to a, um, a meditation group, a, a Korean Zen meditation group, and we make a visit to the Vietnamese temple just up the road from mm -hmm. here. So that's what I taught in the past. This year, we're just going to be at the Tacoma Buddhist Temple. Um, we are actually having class at the temple. Um, and we'll be learning about the larger Buddhist tradition, the specific tradition that that group belongs to, as well as the history of immigration from Asia to the Puget hmm. Sound region. Um, after uh, Chinese were driven out in the 1880s by the city fathers of Tacoma, um, in a kind of a terrible moment in our history, um, a lot of Japanese immigrants started coming in to fill kind of the labor void. And so from the 1890s onward, we had a very large and robust Japanese American community here. Um, so students will study that. They'll study internment during World War II. They'll study kind of the long arc of what happens with immigrant communities when they become Americans, when their religious tradition is a minority religion, and over time, what happens to that. So um, we're, seeing it with a yeah. we're seeing it with a lot of different communities, yeah. but um, the Japanese-American community is one, it's, it's because it's such a long-standing community. I mean, a lot of them, they were coming here at the same time as the Norwegians and Swedes, right? Mm -hmm. Bringing the Lutheran tradition to this area. So it's kind of, uh, you can follow that long arc. So students will be doing that. It's a historical study. They'll also be doing as their final project, they'll be conducting oral histories. Oh, great. So some of the eldest members of the temple are passing away. Mm -hmm. um, and they have these memories. Uh, you know, a number of the temple members remember internment. They were born before internment or they were born in internment camp. So they have a, a very good memory of a pretty big part of the temple's history. And that that history is being lost to the temple members, and it's being lost to our larger community. So the students will be engaging in oral history projects to record and save just a little bit of this history. Yeah. Um, that sounds like a great class. I'm looking forward yeah, to looking it. Yeah, looking great. And then in the fall, you are going to be teaching an interfaith class yes. oh, with one yeah. of your co-instructors or co-faculty members. Will you say just a couple sentences about that, too? Uh, yeah, so I'll be running the class with Dr. Michael Zabarczyk, who is a member of the faculty in the religion department who specializes in religious pluralism. Uh, he comes at it from the Christian theological side, but he gets students to think about what means to be religious in a world of religious diversity. Mm -hmm. So he and I are teaming up to teach a class on interfaith studies. Yeah. Um, this differs from our typical classes. Usually our classes are more intend to be more objective. We're learning about religions. We're going to discuss these things in a moderately dispassionate way. Mm -hmm. um, this class is intentionally subjective. So mm -hmm. we're going to ask students. They have to start the semester by talking about their own positionality. What's your faith tradition? 
or none, right? So what is it? Where do you come from? And then based on that, how do we talk? So he is Catholic. I'm Buddhist. So we're intentionally going to be having points where we have the opportunity to kind of argue with each other Mm -hmm. or talk about how we deal with certain issues and to bring students into that mix as well. So this is a new class for us, an interfaith studies class. And we're really looking forward to that and uh, to working with you. Um, And I don't know if we've asked you, but we're hoping you're going to come to class at least once. Oh, I'd love to. Fantastic. Yes, that sounds great. I'm really excited. You're on the calendar. Oh, excellent. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll work that out. Yeah. Christina, how about you? Yes. So as as you mentioned at the beginning, I've been very interested personally in interfaith Mm -hmm. work. So I've been attending events outside of PLU as well. So and this is part of my search and expanding my perspective on religion and spirituality. And I'm very interested in um, expanding my daily practice. I've been practicing meditation, and I learn more about how meditation is part of different religion, how it is similar or different. Mm -hmm. So I was very excited when the meditation and prayer space was set up and to know that there is now a physical space that allows students to practice on Mm -hmm. campus even if they are commuter students. Right. So that, that yeah. meant a lot. And I'm also very excited that we have events where students feel comfortable showing mm-hmm. up and saying, I am, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And and that's, that's exciting. And it, it really goes back to how I had all these years um, in, in here in the United States. So ever since I came to the United States, I felt like nobody's talking about religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I had Hindu colleagues too. So basically never really talked about it. And, and to have to create an opportunity here at PLU for students where they feel comfortable, uh, where they can grow their awareness of, of uh, the diversity that exists, where they can learn. Maybe they can be inspired mm-hmm. by stories shared by other students yeah. of different faith, religion. Um, I think this is a very exciting work. And um, I'm looking forward to some of the events that are coming up mm-hmm. this spring, like the interfaith games. are. Yep, and uh, a Passover Seder. And a Passover yep. Seder. And, mm-hmm. and I'm also looking forward to more opportunities uh, to create more opportunities like these for students. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you both for taking time today. I learned some new things about both of you, which was really fun. And I just really appreciate your dedication to this work and the ways that you articulate its value to our students and to our community. So thank you very much. Thank you so much thank for having us. Thank you for having us. This has been another episode of Because We're Lutheran. Thanks for listening. <laughs>